Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. and hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Mike, it is good. Um, basketball is back. It's been back on for a week, and uh, there's actually been great games so far and lots of exciting, intriguing things outside of the Raptors, but also for the Raptors, uh, super exciting times. Uh, we've, we, we've won two games, and uh, we just had a big win over the Celtics last night, so it's, uh, it, it's all good in, in Raptor land right now. Yeah, exactly. I, it was the kind of performance. I think it was about as great as you could expect from the Raptors. Obviously, a blowout would have been a better result, but realistic expectations going in. You got what I thought was a little bit of a sloppy game to start, and then as the second half started to heat up both the teams, you started to see find their groove and kind of find their chemistry. It's October, so I think we will find a more advanced team as the season goes along. But for now, it was a good sign from the Raptors. Yeah, it's it's really interesting seeing these pieces come together, and we can – of course, break it down more into each each of the games, but just as like an overall takeaway, it's it you know I'm liking most of what Nick Nurse is doing, but I think part of I think part of what people are you know not liking or not just understanding right now is really him just finding the team in many ways, and I think uh, I think he's I think you know in, in particular I think that's one of the things that's actually outside of Kawhi Leonard obviously is one of the things that's actually made me the happiest right now is that he seems to really be you know committed to the to the differences that 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 that, that were addressing what the team was lacking last year. Well, let's kind of start with the overall takeaways two games out and then we can right. break into the individual games so far the raptors are second in the nba in net rating they are behind the pelicans who look absolutely awesome offensively and but have also played the kings and a couple different things so they're near the top of the league in net rating despite playing what i think are two decent opponents i'm a little bit higher in cleveland than most people they certainly didn't perform well against the timberwolves last night they also obviously played the Celtics, who are probably the class of the Eastern Conference along with the Toronto Raptors. My biggest takeaway from this time is that Toronto looks rusty but really talented. Obviously, it's October. You're going to see some of the rust, and we saw that during the Cavaliers game. The team doesn't look totally in sync right now, and that's okay as we still have 80 games to figure this thing out. What do you? What was your biggest takeaway? I guess. I think my biggest takeaway is that um, you kind of alluded to it in a way. The 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 pieces are there, right? And now it's about fitting them together. I think the small the small ball, quote unquote, experiment is actually really working for the team. I think that. It is definitely it is definitely where this team's strength is. Uh, through the first two games, we've seen a lot of rebounding difficulties, and that's to be expected. And I think this team needs to 
especially the players, uh, actually all the players, because Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard are new to the team anyway, uh, relearn this system of how to more gang rebound, which is what you have to do in situations when you have small ball, in situations where you must, uh, you, you know, take a more dedicated approach to rebounding, or else, or else you're going to see it. I mean, in uh, in that Celtics run the other night or last night. They got some free open threes because of long rebounds, right? So, and just players being out of position. But I think a lot of what needs to happen is a little bit more positional or just, uh, you know, finding, finding flow or finding chemistry with teammates. But the schemes, uh, appear to be there and the, the mentality seems to be there. And even between the first game and the second game, I found that there was a big difference in just mentality and and in finding that killer mentality and, and and kind of the team finding its voice a little bit because this team is going to have a very different voice than the teams of the last five years. But right now, everything seems to be really trending in the in the right direction. And like I said, it's just about bringing those puzzle pieces closer together. And 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 honestly, that just kind of happens with time. Right. Yeah. I talked about you know the sloppiness of this team. And how they look rusty, and they're two and zero. Oh, that preaches to how high the skill level is. And you know, everybody is rusty at this point in time. I don't think that the Celtics looked exactly in a groove when they played the Raptors last night. I think at times getting Kawhi the ball seems, you know, very deliberate. It doesn't always seem in the flow of the offense. Last night he had a couple post ups that they really kind of scrapped the offense to give it to and a couple isolations versus El Horford that ended poorly at the end of the second quarter. But then when you see the third quarter, when you see him rolling the way he is, it gives you a glimpse of what this team can look like when all the cylinders are firing and when this team kind of finds their gel together. Obviously, they'll have to reintegrate DeLon Wright into the lineup. I don't think that will be as stark of a difference since he's had so much experience with much of the bench unit. I think it's such a good sign that this team can look rusty and yet so dominant this early. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. I think that it's especially especially for someone like Delon Wright, it's actually just nothing but a net positive. I think uh, Delon Wright might probably take some of Norman Powell's minutes. I feel like that's where that change might be, but. It's it, it's such a lap of luxuries luxury that we have right now, and I th- and I think it's good that everybody's playing a little bit. I think tonight's actually going to be a really good test too for the for the team on the first line of a back to back coming off of an emotional win, um, and I think that that's more so from just a leadership culture perspective, right? That even though we uh, or we won last night, right, and it was a big uh, big early early statement win where Paul Pierce. He couldn't. He couldn't say anything that he might have wanted to say. Um, you know, we, we 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 still have a good team in front of us tonight, right? So, how does how do we build that culture around around the win uh, around getting a win tonight on the second night of a back to back and and just being there to support our to, you know the team being there to support each other and all and, and all of those little things. I think it's going to be a good test tonight as well. And. I'm really positive, but I've been really encouraged by also by Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry's uh, friendship and chemistry finding itself. Uh, Kawhi Leonard called out uh, in a positive way the Lowry several times in in his post game interview, and I think that's really great too because if 
Lowry and Kawhi can can trust each other, then that's really good because Lowry is also looking really strong right now and really and really ball dominant. And if Lowry is gonna command the ball at least to start the offense a little bit more than he did last season, which it certainly looks like he's going to, then then Kawhi needs to have that complete trust in in Lowry and vice versa, so that then they can they they, they can find their spots and they can play to each other's strengths because I actually think that they complement each other really well. I think one of the big takeaways I have two games in is that JV and Serge Ibaka have not shared the court, I I don't believe, for a single minute so far, at least not one that I've noticed. Yeah, I don't don't think so either, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, What's your thoughts on that? So it appears that Serge Ibaka is going to be a full-time center, that him and JV are... I mean, I don't want to say that the pairing is dead. Obviously, Nurse is going to continue to try different things throughout the season, but it certainly appears it's nearly dead and on its last life. What is what's your overall takeaway with that? Do you think that's a smart move? I I love it. I think I think it had to be done. Um, I'm looking another takeaway that I had, which is complementary to this too, is that Ibaka is looking a lot a lot a, a lot more like his old self, and I think that's really just because he's 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 being able to match up with people who better match up with him. And that is a really good sign. And I think for, for, for me, it's just playing to everybody's each individual player's strengths, right? Like JV did not really have a good game uh, yesterday. In fact, I think it was pretty, pretty, pretty poor, but um, I know Dwight Howard's been out, so I'm not sure if he's, I'm not sure if he's going to play today or not, but if he does, then it's a perfect game where JV is going to be so much more valuable than Ibaka. So I think, I think it's, it's better utilizing your personnel on the team. And I think that that's really important because if you're trying to shove a circle block into a square block, it's not going to fit properly. And in some case, in some cases, right? Like a is a little bit more mobile as it can space the floor a little bit better. And, uh, and, uh, Right now, it seems to be it seems to be finding his uh, his touch in terms of in terms of getting blocks as well, which is great for rim protection. And some and, and, and it's unfortunate because JV might be the third best player on this team as we as we've talked about, but he is a little flat footed against these quicker teams. So, um, you know, I think I think it's a combination too of if JV is really good, then we need to find ways to. Uh, to utilize him better in in the offense, I, I felt especially last night against the Boston Celtics that it felt more like a Demar Derozan game where Derozan would completely ignore JV at times, and and if I think I think Nurse, if there's one thing that he should be doing, it's really hammering home the fact that JV is a dominant player, but if he doesn't receive the ball, then he's gonna be then he's gonna be like a ghost out there. So I think right now the rotation has really helped Ibaka, and and has the potential to help JV, but hasn't really hasn't really been there. But I think I think in terms of building starting lineups and and, and just trying to get more out of Ibaka, who who when when on can also be really a, a nothing but a positive for this team. I think he has to play at center. I'm with you. I think there's a fine line you have to walk as a coach between putting players in the roles that best suit them but also finding a way to get your five most talented players on the court. And that's an interesting situation for Nick Nurse currently, as I think that Abaka and Valanciunas are both 
part of the best five players on the team. So to only play them kind of different at different times is a hard, it's a hard task to manage. At the same time, I'm not sure Serge Ibaka as a power forward, it's one of the best five players on the team. So I understand what he's doing. Serge Ibaka was a power forward when he first came into the league. I think it's a combination of a couple things. One, when Ibaka first came into the league, that dealt with playing around the rim a lot more. And we saw Ibaka lead the league in blocks. I don't think it's possible for a power forward to lead the league in blocks anymore. They just don't hang around the rim enough, and they're drawn out to the three-point line for their assignment so much that they have to be out there and can't you know, make a major impact around the rim. Also, as players get older, they obviously get a little bit slower, and hopefully you, they make up with that with mental adjustments as, and you know, strength. And I think Abaka just naturally would have been a center anyways. To pair along with that, the way the game has changed, I think he's a five at this point in time. There is a problem when you're spending $38 million at the center position, and to be frank, you're only getting average production out of there. And I think that's a long-term problem for the franchise. But in the short term, I think that the team is best utilized when you play only one traditional big at a time, and those power forward minutes are then replaced with the OG Ananobis and Pascal Siakams. Yeah, and I mean, it was really on display last night, right? Like, the Raptors really built their roster to play a team like the Boston Celtics that have those that have that have those almost three guards, one hybrid in Jason Tatum who's really who's who's really big and strong but is also very mobile and 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 can space the floor really well and then you're tra- and then you're more traditional big and even Al Horford is you, you, you know you could you could even argue that he's a hybrid big in many ways as well so um yeah I think uh I think you're right that the 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 team does need to get better overall production out of that position and the the the, the best teams usually do so if if I'm nurse, that's a that's especially especially against maybe weaker opponents uh, uh, down the line. Really finding ways and building in building in schemes that involve the, the those two guys, I think, is really important. Yeah, exactly. I think it's one of these situations where there's two different sets of problems. As a coach, you have to play the best five that are on the floor. And as a GM in team building, you want to build your team that you aren't investing such a heavy capital in the center position. But that's why you keep those positions separate and Nurse is able to just focus on what's best for the day-to-day of the team. And right now, I think that scrapping the Valanchunas Abaka lineup, I think that we'll see it later in the season as we continue experiment with different looks. But we've already seen it so much that I'm... You, you know what you're going to get from that lineup, and I just don't think that that is a modern-day NBA lineup that Nurse feels comfortable rolling out on a daily basis. And if that means that JV only gets 15 minutes in our biggest competitor of the entire season, then so be it, because you have to do what's best for the team at this point. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you got to do what's best for the team. And it's most important to to build build out lineups that are going to be effective because we even saw some lineups against the uh, against the um, Cavaliers that weren't necessarily effective maybe they were too small maybe there wasn't enough spacing and and, and you know like we said we want to really avoid that hockey rotation mentality 
that Dwayne Casey had, but uh, w- with the lineups, and I think Nurse has done a good job of keeping people guessing. And to be honest with you, it's been really refreshing in that case because it feels just it just feels more like a like like an actual NBA team and less like a like a like 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 like, like you know like a hockey team in many ways. Where I I was not really a fan of Dwayne Casey's uh, hockey rotations, and again, it really showed in the playoffs where people weren't used to playing with each other. So continually building new lineups and new uh, opportunities for people to get to, to get to play with each other is so important come the playoff time. And just trying different things. Say you run an extremely small lineup that features three point guards but then has JV at center and you try it out and it doesn't work. That's okay. It doesn't have to work in the regular season. If you give up a 16-2 to run versus the Brooklyn Nets in January – that's not a big deal. The problem is when you're in the first round of the playoffs and you only have a couple lineup choices you can go to. So I totally understand the experiment that Nurse is doing right now, and I'm all for him trying different lineup combinations, getting a solid size of data to work with and seeing what five-man and three-man units look work best. Yeah, like I really like, I really like it as well. And, uh, you know, I think another thing about Nurse is that even when uh, it came out that he was saying that the playbook was only 10 plays long and that they were just trying to get people comfortable, um, I think that will expand. I think I think unlike Casey, who seemed really reluctant to, to make any changes during the season, it, 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 and, and from some of the comments from the players as well, it sounds like now that they're getting used to the flow and, 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 and being creative within themselves – uh, went a little bit of, and I think Kawhi Leonard mentioned it last night that in the third quarter they 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 stuck to schemes a little bit more and it really helped them. I think that is a big key in that expanding that playbook or having go tos that you can that that you can pepper in throughout your game. I think is important and kind of having that balance between between an experimental offensive run and a more set offensive run. Uh, the really good teams do that right like they the really good teams understand each other and how to just uh, move the ball but also at the same time if they need a bucket or if they need to slow down a run Mm -hmm. then they can run a set play or 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 bring something out that that might keep the team off of uh, uh on its toes and then they can get an easy dunk right like that's like like those are the momentum changes that you need to manage throughout a game on offense and I think this team is more equipped to do that because they actually took the time to to have a small playbook and hopefully expand it over time. So right now, really for Nurse, I think he's he's done a, fan, a, a really good job for I mean for the most part, and just some just some of it's going to be learning the rotations a little bit more. But he seems to he seems to have the players bought in, which I think is a huge step for him to get over. Another thing that I've picked up on through the first two games, and I think is notable is. Norman Powell and C.J. CJ Miles sorry, are playing the same exact amount of minutes at this point in the season. So far, Powell has slightly outplayed Miles during that time. As we get DeLon right back into the lineup, do you think that C.J. Miles is at, at risk of losing his position as a consistent rotation player? You know, I think he, I think he is. And, uh, Mike, I don't know how much you know about the curse of the GoDaddy. But um, the, the curse of the GoDaddy commercial. But he should have never signed up to do the commercial. Um, but I think, and it's not even necessarily that CJ has been playing bad, but his he he again is coming off he's coming off of those screens, triggering that three, 
and it's not being consistent. And that's a big problem for CJ because he's one of the weaker defenders on the team, right? And Norman Powell has at least proven so far to be a little bit more serviceable as a defender and uh, is obviously going to be quicker than CJ Miles because he's younger. So when DeLon Wright is back and if DeLon can find his can find his three-point touch then really where does cj fit in right so for me for me i definitely feel that it's a possibility that cj could eventually uh play only spot minutes against you know teams or if we desperately need a three have them come in right i think him and danny green do a lot of similar things with danny green being a better overall defender mm-hmm. so in in a way it's having a duplicate skill set offensively and then being a negative on the defensive end. What's the point of having him out there? I will say, through two games, Danny Green is averaging 32 minutes a contest. I don't think that's a sustainable number for him. I think we need to lower him into maybe the more 26, 27 range, perhaps. That's where some of DeLon's minutes will come. Kyle Lowry's up to 35 minutes a game. Nothing super crazy there, but also could afford to cede some minutes over to DeLon. I think it will be interesting to see if Nurse elects to expand that lineup to 11 or perhaps cut CJ or DeLon Wright. I think that's kind of the C subplot storyline of the season right now as we attempt to see what this team will look like moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's a long season as well, right? And I think... If if I'm gonna throw, I'll throw CJ a bone and say that if if an injury does were to happen, I, you know, I feel that he could come in and do a serviceable job and really and really could be a veteran presence and a continuity presence that isn't negative to the team. It's just not exactly what you expect and exactly we get way more from Danny Green and and I mean how can you not like Danny Green right now? I think what he's doing is 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 great. He's playing really well. He's he's completely bought in. And uh, and I like it. I feel like that he's been, he, he I feel like he's probably been a great glue guy between the between the new team and Kawhi, uh, which is really great to see. And to be fair to C.J. Miles, he has seven three point attempts on the year. He hits three more of those just by the luck of the draw. And we're talking about how we're not having this discussion, right? So it's such a small sample size that I hate to draw anything, any type of conclusion. I just think due to his defensive limitations and due to the nature of this team with the depth that it has, he needs to be nearly perfect offensively, and he hasn't been that thus far. Yeah, yeah. And it's maybe unfair pressure to put on, to put on somebody, but unfortunately that's what happens when you have depth like, like, like the Raptors do. Exactly. So let's move away from general takeaways – to more game-specific stuff, we will be breaking down later the Celtics game with Alex Kungyu more in-depth. So I'll keep my thoughts a little bit on the Celtics for that. But first I want to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers game, the opener of the season. Toronto struggled a little bit offensively to begin. They didn't really look crisp on that end of the floor. However, by the time the second quarter came the team started to pull away just by overall talent. They just have more multifaceted scores than the Cavaliers have, who obviously were built around LeBron James and Bill 
kind of as supplementary players. Toronto pulled away in that one. I wasn't overly impressed. I think Kawhi particularly looked a little rusty. He hasn't played much basketball since in 15 months, so it makes sense that he's rusty. What was your biggest takeaway from the Cavaliers game? I I think it was that I, I, if I had to summarize it with one sentence, I would say that it would be shaken off the rust. Um, and and it, 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 it's funny. I know we're not talking about the Celtics game, but just even seeing the drastic difference in the team between those two between those two games was was really big. I think the the overall sloppiness of both of both teams was evident of a game one, and even more so for both teams in many ways because they're trying to find new identities and trying to cement what those new identities are. Uh, I think uh, I, I thought the defense was not was overall not bad, especially in the especially in the second half. But the offensive rotations or, or the offensive rotations with the ball maybe not necessarily there. There was a lot of uh, easy jumpers that were missed. Uh, I mean, even Abaka missed a wide open layup as well. Uh, but you could see the seeds, right? You can see the seeds of the movement um, when it was working, and, and I'm even thinking back to that missed the Baca dunk. Like that was a fantastic, that was a fantastic play where they rotated the ball. They found the they found the man cutting to the net, and he was wide open. He just happened to miss the dunk. But the uh, the, the 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 team is is finding itself, and that's really and that's really the biggest takeaway is that it was a really find yourself sort of game, and really putting putting what they had put into practice into actual practice, right? Like into actual game game time against another team. And uh, I think it was all, I, I think it was also the, the rotations I found were really good throughout the game. For the most part, uh, there was a little stretch where they had um, uh, where, where they had a complete bench lineup and JV that didn't really work uh, that, that well. But I think that that's okay because again, going back to the experimentation and finding what you need uh, the, the, but uh, for Kawhi and, and and that group, I think they, you know, they're finding themselves. And it was a lot, it was a lot better as the game went on. And once they started to pull away there at the end, or sorry, in the middle, and then they let it come back a little bit. And I think that also the switching style is new for a lot of the players, and a lot of, um, and a lot of them are still trying to get used to it. And I think as they just get more games under them, this game will be a little bit of a of a laugher to them. And I, you know, I, I'll be really interested to see them play the Cavaliers. And I think they play them again in November that where to, to, to see the differences in the team and where they're, and where they're at now, because I could see the next Cavaliers game being a little bit more of a blowout than, than this one. I think that it was really telling when the game mattered most, despite how poorly Ibaka played that, Nick Nurse elected to play him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. That speaks to where his trust is at, particularly defensively. And the fact that JV did play so well in that game and really looked very impressive and forceful throughout it, it didn't matter when push came to shove. Nick Nurse knows that Serge Ibaka is the center he wants to roll with. And we've talked about JV as the third best player on this team. Apparently, Nick Nurse doesn't think so, or at least he doesn't think to end games that he is, because I think that was a real sign that Serge Ibaka is this team's closing center, for better or for worse. I'm I'm okay with it right now, because um, I think Ibaka, 
is showing his value a little bit more as a center than a power forward. And and he's going to, again, have to really continue to push the boards. Uh, I think he's I think he's losing some battles, especially in rebounding, where he's getting caught behind the defender and he needs to battle a little bit more to get in front. But at the same time, he's playing major minutes and is expected to be on the floor. So uh, there's that. And I think also... Uh, hoping anyway that his conditioning will get a little bit better because he's still coming up short on many shots, but uh, that's okay um, because I think the, the they're all coming up a little bit short on shots and still need to find some rhythm. So, um, but yeah, it it, it it it's a daring move I think that he is putting this much faith in Ibaka. But I mean, I mean really, there's only three players I think that have been to the finals on this team, right? Ibaka. Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard. So to trust in that experience as well, I think is really important. Exactly. And I think in that Cavaliers game that as much as Serge Ibaka struggled in many ways, he was really close on a couple of plays. It seemed like he just missed open shots. And I'm more willing to live with that than if a player's out of position or is not getting effective looks. That, to me, was more just a result of a bad game than a result of poor play. He shot 2 of 10 from the field, still played 8 more minutes or 7 more minutes than Jonas Valanciunas. That's important to monitor throughout the season. If JV is only playing 20 minutes or less than 20 minutes a game, he's averaging 17 at this point in time. It's really hard to make a huge impact when you're playing 17 minutes a game. Yeah, yeah, and I think that this team and the coaching staff in particular need to find better ways to 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 involve JV because he's he's too good to be left on the bench and and I and I truly believe that Nick Nurse is a is a big is a big believer in JV. So um I mean I mean, I mean, we got to we, we got to do something because his his impact is big and he's he, he's just so big and can really get in there and create that uh, to 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 find ways to get him in there. I think is I, I think is important. And the team, you know, he might he might have to call a team out and just really say like, look, we have to commit to playing through JV. We need this man on the floor, and and that doesn't mean you're not going to get yours or get your opportunities. But if we involve him more, we will be a better team as a whole. And that just might be the way it has to be. But I feel like Nurse is more willing to do something like that than than Dwayne Casey would have been. I think I'm going to go a little bit the other way and push back against that. I, okay. The the limited minutes to me says that that Nurse is more about playing this smaller small ball lineup rather than feeding JV on a consistent basis. I it, JV's role I believe will be significantly reduced under Nurse or I. Sh- at least from what we've seen this far, I have nothing to believe that his usage won't be reduced. And if you look at the profile of how Nurse wants to play, it makes sense to keep Ibaka on the floor more. And we've heard certainly a ton of things press conference-wise from Nick Nurse about how JV is going to be the focal point of the offense in many ways. But we haven't seen it thus far, and we're two games into the season, so it's obviously too early to make any general statements. But just from what I've seen thus far, I think that Serge Ibaka is the prominent center on this team until otherwise noted. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
Fair enough, but do you think in that sense is there potential that JV gets traded for something else down the line, or, or, or is that a step too far or a step too intense? I just don't see the market for him, to be frank. there's yeah. Centers are everywhere. It's it's not that JV's a bad player. It's who needs a center right now and who particularly needs a slow center making $20 million a year. I just You're going to get a negative value, value back for him, so you might as well keep the player who is solid in his limited minutes rather than trade him off for nothing. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And I, I understand that, and maybe that's just the way it has to be. And uh, uh, it, it, it's unfortunate as a JV fan, but I think, uh, it, well, again, I can be a fan all I want, but I want what's best for the team. So if if that's what's best, then, then oh, so be it. <laughs> uh, we'd be... We'd be pretty dumb to not talk about Kyle Lowry's performance in the Cavaliers game. He shot 10 yeah. of 12 from the floor. I don't think that's particularly anything new to do with the offense. I think it was just Kyle Lowry's really good player. And on nights he has 10 of 12 performances. I don't think this is anything to do with this season in particular. And mostly just a hot shooting night from a really good player. Yeah, I think... I think... My the the underrated story right now that no one's really talking about but definitely deserves to be talked about is that Kyle Lowry is certainly playing at a fantastically high level right now. Uh, in both games, I think he's been really really great in terms of picking his spots and really. But the defense has just been spectacular as well, and that is so important to this team because he still is the engine. Right? There's a reason why. There's a reason why the team didn't try to get rid of him too, right? They they need him on this team, and and he and it just his ability to command the floor is is so important to this team and so important going forward. And like I said, like you know, he Kawhi's praising him right now, which is great too, because if Kawhi trusts him, then 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 they can be on the same page, which is just so important. But yeah, Kyle Lowry seems to really really be locked in on both sides of the ball right now and that is uh such a positive i think you, you know him ta- him taking doing his usual things of taking his charges scrapping in i love when kyle lowry goes into the paint and grabs his get you know gets that extra rebound right like just fine just as that extra rebounder because a lot of point guards would leak out to either on the offensive end or defensive end to to, to get back and this is such a great change of pace, or, or no, not, not change of pace, great uh, thing to see continue from last year. And I just really want to see it continue forward uh, because Kyle Lowry is, it, it can, is the impact, right? Like he's the one who's going to take the team over the edge because of all the focus on Kawhi. And if he can keep teams honest as well and keep teams on him, it just opens up the floor for everybody else. No, Matt, that can't be right. His friend was traded, so now he's not able to play <laughs> basketball anymore. Yeah, he, he, He's the first player to ever have somebody that he liked traded. I don't know if you know that. No one else has had a friend and teammate be traded before, so obviously Kyle Lowry's going to come into this season just distraught. Did you see, like, like you obviously saw the thing where he, he still did the, the little handshake or whatever in the, in the first game, and... And it's like, and then he goes out and dominates, right? Like, he's he he he's fine. He's fine. He wants to win, and he knows he has a really great opportunity to win. And if he didn't know it, he should know it after last night's game. So, yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of this these stories were invented in the comment sections on 
on you know articles and less about what his actual feelings are. His friend got traded, but I mean, look at the team he's on now. I think it looks a lot better than it did last year. Exactly, and people made a big deal of him not commenting during Team USA. What do you want him to say when his friend who just got traded and obviously is hurt by the situation is sitting right next to him? Do you want him to talk about how great Kawhi Leonard is? So he's not going to rip the deal because he doesn't want to rip Kawhi Leonard, and he's not going to talk about how great the deal is because his best friend sitting right next to him and just had you know a very difficult time processing that trade. So the, his lack of comments were... I'm just very predictable, and I was surprised by the storyline that took place. But I guess we're getting off topic here. Let's move on to the Celtics game. I, I'll i leave my game-specific comments for later. However, I do have a couple of general takeaways that are more just singularly Raptors-related. I'll start by saying I think one of the... Biggest takeaways for me, besides the fact that JV just can't play against Al Horford, is the fact that this team played spectacularly, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that no one on the Celtics can guard Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely clear that for a very good defensive team like the Celtics, they they still might lack that superstar stopper. And it, and it depends on the type of superstar, but Kawhi Leonard is very strong, especially in the upper body. And, you know, he, he he's really good at creating space for himself, even when there isn't any. Uh, his his spin moves in particular and, and his ability to use his shoulders to push, to push uh, pl- uh, defenders off of him. And, you know, the, the Celtics might have a little bit of an issue because they're a really... They're a really good defensive team and have really great defenders on it. But, you know, there were stretches where uh, uh, Marcus Morris, who now is Mar- Marcus Sr. Uh, or Morris Sr. I don't know if you saw that on the back of his jersey. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it says Marcus Sr. on the back of his jersey now. But, um, you know, they, 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 who's, who's one of their premier defenders, right? Like, he couldn't, he couldn't stop Kawhi Leonard. LeBron stopper Marcus Morris. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And, and I mean, that's, I mean, that, that, that's a problem for the Celtics, but it's, it's a really great thing for us to have because suddenly the floor appeared open, right? And the Raptors were finding their spots. Um, Gordon Hay, I mean, I think Gordon Hayward is going to get more confidence, uh, and, and, and just find his touch more over the season as well. I mean, we talk about Kawhi Leonard missing nine months, whereas, I mean, Gordon Hayward missed 12, right? So, and came back from an injury, so it's not like he could even get reps in and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but I mean, how good of a defender is Gordon Hayward? So, the Raptors really built themselves around being able to beat the Celtics, and it's and it's really evident because they, you know, they were going tit for tat the whole entire game. Uh, Kyrie could probably play a little bit better, and um, I think that's a big. I think he played pretty well. He shot fifty percent from the field. And yeah. had six assists. Yeah, I thought he got into the lane pretty well pretty, against pretty us, well. in my opinion, at least. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, and, and, I don't know, maybe it was just, like, the lack of, like, huge Kyrie, like, He like wasn't shot. very assertive. Yeah, yeah. So so maybe he just needs to be a little bit more locked in. But um, I, I'll i be interested to see the Celtics' response. 
uh, it, it, when they play when they next play Boston in Boston, um, because it's it, it, it's clear these teams are very even, right? And because they were going tip for tap the pretty much the entire game and with only little mini runs. Well, one thing that really impressed me about the Raptors was the ability to stop the Celtics runs and Nick Nurse calling really good timeouts. It's funny that you know we have to praise a coach for calling really good timeouts, but. Um, Dwayne Casey, I, I mean, he might have been the worst in the league at calling timeouts, right? Like, there's a di- like, like, like you just don't call a timeout to to talk to the players. You call a timeout to 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 kind of pause the momentum, right, and kind of reset the momentum a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I thought Nick Nurse was also doing a really good job of that. Again, I'm I'm gonna say some of the matchup specific stuff for later. One thing that jumped off jumped off the screen to me in terms of opponents for the Raptors themselves, is Pascal Siakam missed two corner three-point shots that were wide open. Yeah. And as great as Siakam is, and he's really spectacular in many other ways, it gets really difficult to play him, particularly if he's going to play with JV, if he's not able to hit those perimeter shots. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, if... I, I think I said it before, too. If Siakam can... can hit those threes then 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 what is stopping this team right like Siakam does so much on the floor and is such a and is such a positive that if 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 he can keep those teams honest and 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 then punish them for not for not playing him out there in the corner then how like the how is Siakam not like just absolutely dominant for this team and 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 that's what I want to see and I hope it and, and I hope it comes to fruition but he did hit one in the in the Cavs game, but yeah, I think he definitely needs to to be still be given those opportunities, right? And uh, and, and I think he has a little bit lo- more of a longer leash than CJ Miles does in terms of hitting threes. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's those two in the Celtic game stuck out to me particularly, just because they were so wide open and in the corner. So it was one of those situations where you really want to have someone take advantage of that. I don't think it's as big of a problem when Serge Ibaka is on the floor because Serge Ibaka stretches the floor more than JV does offensively. People will point out that JV shot 40% last season from three, but he only made 40 shots. So to me, that's not very impressive as opposed to Serge Ibaka who attempted and made the third most three-pointers on the team last season. So as we look at it, I think that he can still play with Serge Ibaka for this time. But if he's not able to hit those perimeter shots, and it's still an if now, I don't want to freak out over four games and two missed corner threes. But if he's not able to hit those corner three-point shots, I'm not sure how effective the JV Siakam pairing is. Yeah, yeah. Again, like, it's just unfortunate with JV. It's all coming back to JV. Yeah. But it's kind of true, right? Like, 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 he's a unique player. But at the same time, if not used exactly correctly, then he's then, then then his usefulness quickly declines. Right. I think him and Siakam are both two players that have to have a certain kind of talent level around them and a certain type of skill sets around them due to the fact Siakam's a power forward who can't shoot from beyond the arc, at least not effectively at this point in his career, that we've seen. So I'm not sure Siakam's going to play more than 25 minutes a night, so it might be a moot point if you just want to match those 25 minutes up whenever Ibaka's on the floor. 
but it's just something to keep an eye on moving forward. And if he's not able to hit those shots, it obviously puts a hamper on the Celtics or on the Raptors offense, particularly when they face a good team like the Celtics in the playoffs, when they have more time to kind of game plan towards that inability. Yeah. And I think if there's, I mean, I mean, if we're going to give a lot of, let, let's give a lot of credit where credit is due. Brad Stevens is a fantastic coach, right? Mm-hmm. And the Raptors are going to continue to have to be creative and willing to, to, to stick to what's working at the same time though, so that they can find, you know, be effective because Brad Stevens is going to find that scheme or that pairing that's, that, that, that that's going to punch back, right? Like there's, like the, like this game, and I, I know this is the most obvious statement to say, but this game by no means says that the Raptors are better than the Celtics. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Especially it's October, so who knows what these teams look like in, you know, May. So lastly, just any more takeaways from the Celtics game before we wrap up here that you noticed kind of specific matchup-wise? I was, I was, uh, you know, really impressed with Jason Tatum in this game. I think that he, he was the difference maker for me from the, from the Boston end. And, you know, it might, it might be just because it's early, but I'm really hoping that Kawhi takes a more dominant defensive role in those sorts of situations. I know that he was, he spent a lot of time guarding Gordon Hayward. And when he wasn't, and when that didn't happen, Hayward actually found his touch a little bit more as well. But Jason Tatum was making a huge difference in this game and, and, and slowing him down. And, and players that like him, um, I'm thinking of something like, someone like a Ben Simmons who's even you know more dominant than Jason Tatum, uh, is is, is going to be interesting to see how they how they deal uh, how they manage that. Is it a combination of both Kawhi Leonard and OG Ananobi, or uh, Ananobi, excuse me, um, and how how they how they work with those you know r- really really tall and strong um, uh, power forwards who are very ball dominant and also very uh, can stretch the, or at least not maybe not stretch the floor but um, work really well in transition as well so yeah, that 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 is a matchup thing that I think is really going to uh, evolve over the season in, in dealing with those sorts of sorts of players. But in terms of, again, matchups, I think the, the Raptors match up really well with the Celtics and the, 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 that shows the, that shows by the quality of game that eventually came out and how, and, and, and how it was really good. And it was just really a couple of possessions that made the difference. Totally agree. All right, man. Yeah. Uh, yep. Thank you very much. Yep. I will talk to you next week. Yeah. Talk to you later. And now we bring on Alex Kung Yu to discuss the Boston Celtics. He is a writer for Celtics Blog, the SB Nation site covering the Boston Celtics. Alex, welcome on, and how's it feel to be the second best team in the East? Oh, uh, man, well, I mean, <laughs> it's good for us to be the dogs again. That's where we do our best work, so it's actually all part of the plan. Yeah, okay. That was a good call by Brad Stevens, really light years ahead. In Warriors fashion, <laughs> losing the game on purpose in order to get the underdog status. Uh, of course not. Uh, uh, but, uh-huh. but really, what was your biggest takeaway? I think the biggest takeaway was that uh, 
I think the NBA should revoke that Kawhi Leonard trade. I <laughs> I just I just don't think it's fair that you got Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green for the price of DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Porto. Because it's like, if you guys wanted to trade De- DeMar DeRozan and you got a package of, like, Danny Green and, like, a pick, I could, you could argue that's a pretty good package. But you guys got a top five player and then Danny Green, who was plus 25 last night, killed us with a great clutch bucket. It, I, don't, I don't understand. You guys are better than I thought you were, and I already thought you were really good. It's unfair. It's unfair. Hey. Then they just take a stand. Yeah, the Danny, the Danny Green part of the trade is really the underrated aspect of that deal. The Raptors shed a center, which seemed to be going for absolutely nothing nowadays, and gained back a shooting guard in the second part of that deal. And in a league where you can't have enough defensive wings that can shoot threes, the Spurs gave one up for Jakob Perto, who I think is a nice player, has the ability to be maybe the 20th best starting center in the league. But centers, like I said, are just available for cheap, and I think the Raptors really won the secondary part of that deal. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and on on top of the game, like one of the biggest takeaways that I that, that I took from that was just how much better these teams are than the rest of the Eastern Conference outside of uh, Milwaukee, which I'm sure you'll you'll have someone to talk about later. But just where they are right now in terms of just it being only being second game of the season, um, guys are still figuring themselves out. Kawhi is quote unquote rusty, which I have my own thoughts about. Um, but you guys look like a well-oiled machine. The Raptors just look like a team that's already playing in February where everyone is still trying to get their stuff together. Um, I just can't say enough. Like, I was really, I was really blown away. Like, I do think whoever was the home team was going to win that game personally, but I just, regardless of like the winner, like, I just think the Raptors just look different. They have a different feel to them. They don't, feel like like even the fans like they there's no like feeling of like oh no like something bad's gonna happen it feels like everyone understands like we have Kawhi Leonard we are a very good basketball team like we can beat anybody and it showed last night I was really I was really impressed exactly I always thought as the team continued to run back to Marta Rosen and Kyle Lowry it seemed like we were watching a different movie of the same series where you knew what was going to happen in the end and you knew that no matter what this team had as far as talent during the regular season, it wasn't the same compared to the top teams in the East as far as top-level talent. And some people last year thought that the Raptors were a different team. I wasn't one of those people. I think now with Kawhi Leonard and a legitimate top five player in the NBA, perhaps top ten if he's not exactly what he was when he had his MVP-type season, I think he, for the first time, gives the Raptors the top-end talent that they never had. And it showed last night during that third quarter when he took over during that brief stretch that this is a player different than anyone the Raptors have had really in in recent history, if not ever. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, that third quarter was really just brilliant. It felt like playoff basketball, the way the Raptors were just, like, hunting mismatches. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point with Kawhi where it's like, it didn't even matter who was on him. Like, it was Gordon, don't matter. Al, don't matter. Jalen, didn't matter. Kyrie, even better. Like, yeah. just that, just the way, like, he was able to just kind of go down the line 
and just score, score, score. Even even though like through like maybe halfway to the quarter, it was like 14-14, and the Celtics were kind of like keeping up. It felt like the momentum switched because it's like Boston was getting a majority of their points off like second chance opportunities, where it was like like the Raptors were running an offense and scoring over and over and over again, and even with Boston hanging on to like a slight lead, it did feel like it was the Raptors game from that point on. So yeah, it just highlights what it ha- what it means to have like a, a player that can just go out and get a bucket like that, no matter what. Yeah, and I you touched on it earlier. I do think the fact that it was at home for the Raptors made a big difference in this game. But the f- Kawhi Leonard looks like the best basketball player on the court, which matters a lot during playoff series. Was there anything kind of matchup-wise that jumped off the page to you that gave the Raptors an advantage over the Celtics? I mean, well, we've already talked about Kawhi. So, I mean, outside of Kawhi Leonard, um, I think right now I just I see that uh, the point guard matchups are very interesting to watch. Because, I mean, I thought Kyrie had a decent game, though he got beat a few offensively. But... Fred Van Fleet is, like, really good. Really, really good. And you guys had him closing the game. Him with Lowry and Kawhi down the stretch were, like, just extremely good. And I think what that also did, um, and I'm now just thinking about this, because I've been thinking about this a lot last night. I think you guys putting Fred Van Fleet to close down the stretch also made the Celtics feel like they had to match up. And what we saw was the Celtics um, close a game with Rozier, instead of Jalen Brown. And I think that was really interesting because w- one thing that the Celtics have to figure out with all these, like, pieces that, like, some pieces aren't clearly better than the other piece and it might come down to situations, is who's going to close for them? And right now, it seems like the Raptors kind of have, like, a better idea of their identity, like, who, the, who, who they're going to be, who they're going to rely on when things get tough. And I think Boston is still trying to figure out that, like, last piece outside of the Kyrie Hayward um Corporate and Tatum, like they're like they're trying to figure out that fifth piece, the guy who they can rely on. And I think last night, last night, Stevens made mention that he's going to do something like ride the hot hand, right, which I think is dangerous. Yeah. But I'm not sure. But I'm not sure how dangerous. Cause I don't know how many times we're going to be in close games. But I mean, outside of the top teams, I don't see the Celtics being in like tight contested games like they were all last year. But it is something to watch because obviously, like in the playoffs and stuff, you're going to want to have a closing vibe. Like everyone has their closing five. And I think that was really big down the stretch that the Raptors had their closing five and they knew everyone knew their role, everyone knew how to play, and the Celtics didn't. And that really, it, I think it really bit them down at the end with the way some of their half court execution worked down the stretch. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something that that I noticed when watching, just from an outsider watching the Celtics. I thought, as someone who watches the Celtics not on a nightly basis. I thought it was a bit of a mistake to go to Rozier over Jalen Brown down the stretch. What did you think of that decision? Were you a fan of the decision when it happened? You know, as obviously it's easy to look back now and say that perhaps he should have kept Jalen Brown. When he first made the decision to keep Rozier on the court over Jalen Brown, were you a fan? Like, I didn't... I I, I tweeted about it during the course of the game. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Terry Rozier is getting a nod over Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. And, I mean, I wrote about it, and I'll have a piece out, but I'll, I'll just spoil it now because I don't know Raptor fans are going to read the Celtics Squad piece anyway. So, um, basically, the way I was thinking was, okay, like, you would think about these two in this two ways. One, you put in Terry Rose there, there, 
um, you have another ball handler you, and you're able to use Irving and Hayward and even Horford like off ball, which allows like them to kind of like roam freely and not have to like allow the defense to like load up on them. Like you try to run and pick and roll, they're blitzing everything. They're trying to force ball out of their hand. So you could run it like that and just cut, cut, kind of keep your options open. But on the other end, if you would put in Jalen Brown, you do put the ball in your best player's hand, which I would argue might be a better decision. Like, why are you having Rozier in as just, and you're basically just going to make him like a spot-up shooter? Or it's like, you kind of want the ball in Irving's hand. You want the ball in Hayward's hand. Like, you brought Hayward here partly because he can be another playmaker for Irving. And when the games get tight, you want those guys to be the ones making the main decisions anyway. And then when you look back at it, it's not like Jalen had a bad game. He was 13-4. and four, He was 50% from the field. Um, yeah, he missed a couple of his free throws. And he got beat by Kawhi a couple times like everybody on the Celtics did. But it's like you, you rely on that because you have size. You have another guy that can stick Kawhi. You have another guy who kind of knows his role in that offense. And it's also another chance for the Celtics to get more minutes with their key five. So in my opinion, that was a mistake. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's Brad Stevens. He's going to want to get – he used the regular season as, like, this big science experiment where he wants to see different lineups at work. So maybe he knows now that, okay, this lineup maybe is not going to close, but maybe in the second quarter of some random game, he'll go to it and realize, oh, so this is a good lineup to maybe close the half with or something like that. So I thought it was a mistake, but I also think, like, it's okay because, I mean, it's the regular season and this is the type of stuff he does – and I would be willing to bet, like, gun overhead, he would have he would have put Jalen or even, like, Smart over Rosier to end the game, like, if it was a playoff situation. Exactly. If if the purpose of that role in that situation is to play defense and provide three-point shooting, I think that Jalen Brown is the better option, you know, especially with his size, can perhaps overwhelm Fred Van Vliet defensively. But then you make a, a great point when you mention – you know, coaching for October and coaching for May are different things. And maybe playing Terry Rozier wasn't the best decision for October 20th and getting the win in game two of the regular season. But that doesn't mean it's not the best decision for the long-term future of this team. And he's going to use this season to experiment with different things. And you only get limited number of minutes against the Raptors, and you need to get all your sample size in that you can right now. For sure. For sure. Uh, another thing that uh, a matchup that I noticed that me and you talked about in the season preview of the Celtics, we kind of talked about how JV versus Al Horford might decide this matchup. That was an outstanding win as far as the Celtics won that matchup specifically last night. JV was only on the court for Al, with Al Horford for less than one minute of play. El Horford got an immediate blow-by dunk and then forced to travel during that short period of time that they did share the court. I think this is something that we need to watch moving forward. The fact that the Raptors' supposedly best center can only play 15 minutes for the Celtics is something that's very concerning, at least from a Raptors' perspective. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Cause I saw when you guys went to start um, surge, I was, I was interested because I just thought, you know, like, even in the playoff series against the Cavaliers last year, the team still started big, even though they had, like, Kevin Love starting at the five. So I assumed that you guys are still just going to do that and try to exploit whatever you can from Al. But it was interesting that that nurse did kind of go to the five and then kind of brought Jay Val off the bench, which ended up kind of working, I think, a little bit, because Serge Ibaka had, yeah, a he fantastic, he had a fantastic game. And 
I was looking at the stats and I was like, wait a minute, is Serge Ibaka a Celtics killer? And I looked and it was like, he averages 11, like 6 and 3 against us in his entire career. And it was like the same thing last year. And I was like, 11 6. So this is just like a really, really good game right. from him, from him in general. But I mean, hey, like he had a good game. It ended up being a, a pretty good decision. I personally still don't think it's going to come down to um, Jay Val versus Horford. Simply because, like, I think it's going to just come down to, the, to, like, the stars, I think. And I think it's going to be what Kawhi can do every night, what, what Lowry can do every night, um, what those what, what those young wings in, over there can do, like Siakam and OG and guys like Fred Van Fleet versus, you know, the Browns, Tatums, and Rozier. I think those matchups on the perimeter are going to have much more of an impact simply because those guys are getting the ball more and they're more involved in the offense, at least at least from the Celtics' point of view. I know Valanciunas has been used a lot as like a post-presence with his passing ability and shooting. But for the Celtics, at least, uh, most of their offense runs through their wings anyway, outside of like corporate elbow action. And I think those guys are going to be the ones that most likely can like, decide this series. But... I actually thought you guys won the front court game simply because you got a really good game from Surge. Like he was automatic from mid range, just yeah, completely automatic. Well, it's I guess my biggest worry is is that a repeatable performance from Serge Ibaka. Obviously, I don't think you can expect ten of fourteen with twenty one points on a nightly basis, but can he at least keep pace with Al Horford for an entire series? That's something I'm not as confident in. And the fact that, you know, Nurse has not played Serge Ibaka and JV together once during this season, and the fact that he doesn't think he can play JV at the same time, apparently, as Horford at all, is at least somewhat concerning because as we move towards the playoff series, when when Horford's playing, you know, 35, 38 minutes a night, you're really limiting JV to perhaps even single-digit minutes, which is something concerning for Raptors fans, at least. So why why is that concerning? I personally don't I personally don't know why well, it's concerning. Well, I just you know I think JV's probably your third best player, and you can't play him. It's really tough to generate offense for the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, they have plenty of guys who can score, and this is a talented team regardless. But you just lose that weapon. So if you can't play your third best player in the biggest matchup of the entire season it's really harmful it kind of reminds me in a way of what the Warriors do to Kevin Love whenever they play him although he did have a couple he did have a great last series but when you can't play one of your most talented players I think that's just a win for the Celtics if they can keep JV consistently off the floor okay I mean personally I think in a series with the Celtics and Raptors I actually think your third best player might either be Van Fleet or Danny Green. Not not that I'm saying that's your third best player in general, like your team like for most yeah, of the league. I, yeah, I just think in that in this specific series, maybe like Danny Green or Fred Van Fleet would end up having a bigger impact simply because of like um Fred Van Fleet because he just he figures stuff out no matter what. And Danny Green because of his ability to defend basically across the perimeter. Like he like he's able to check Kyrie, Jalen, Jason, um Hayward and that allows guys like Kawhi or Kyle Lowry to not, or even OG and Pascal. So it's like, I do think I do think in, in a series like this, you'll you'll see it come down to more of the perimeter players. But that is a good point. Sure, sure, yeah. In in the series versus Celtics, I don't think 
he's the third best player, but I think overall he's the third most talented player on the Raptors, and you saw last night Al Horford's able to turn him into an Aaron Baines equivalent, which is a win for the Celtics because if you're getting the same production from Aaron Baines, your backup center who makes $5 million a year, as the Raptors are from $20 million worth of JV, it's, it's a win for them, and the fact that Horford just plays JV off the floor is something to watch moving forward because I'm not sure Ibaka can repeat that performance that he had last night. Okay. I, th- I think defensively another thing to watch is who the Celtics match up with on Kawhi Leonard. It looked like early on they wanted Gordon Hayward, but we're switching on you know, switching on a lot of action, and we're pretty consistent on rotating who is guarding Kawhi throughout the game. Is there someone that you think kind of performed better than anyone else last night? I mean, they all got they all got beat up pretty good. Uh, I mean, look, I'll say that I think it'll it'll have to just be a combination of Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Morris primarily, and even some dab a little bit with Marcus Smart. Because, like, Kawhi's a top-five player. You're, 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 like, you're not going to shut him down. There's not going to be a game where you hold Kawhi Leonard to, like, two points or two of 13 shooting or something like that unless he gets himself injured. That's the only way that can happen. So when you're trying to defend him, your goal isn't necessarily to stop him, but more so to make things difficult. And I think Gordon kind of has the strength and length to be able to do that, especially when he starts getting healthy and he starts getting more reps against Kawhi, like a couple of times, like getting used to it. Um, same with uh, Smart. Like Smart offers, you know, a, a different variable. Like he's a he has maybe like a, a lower mass of gravity. He, you know, he's strong. And then Jalen, you know, Jalen and Morris, like just you know, two light sized wings that can that can uh, mirror him well. So I think you just have to throw a lot of looks at him. Same way how anyone would try to stick LeBron. Like you just throw a bunch of looks at him. You don't get him used to a certain defender. And you just hope you can make life rough and he misses. But, I mean, otherwise, there's no formula. Like, it's Kawhi Leonard. You can't stop him. Well, 10 of 25, at least, you know, it wasn't a total bloodbath as far as efficiency goes. Why do you think that I I didn't at least notice Marcus Smart particularly match up Kawhi Leonard often? Why do you think that that matchup kind of never came to fruition? I think the Celtics didn't want to really, like, force it i didn't think and one okay so there's two options to two reasons one this like there's a lot of switching going on in that game like guys are switching Celtics switch heavy a lot i think the Raptors do it as well so it's like even though you might have a particular matchup like by the time a possession words itself out that's not the same guy who ends up defending so that's so that's one thing and also another thing it's like it's the regular season guys we're not hyper focused yet on like this particular matchup has to be this 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 right now like these are two teams that are going to their offenses. They're, they're running through their sets. They're not really tweaking anything outside of, like, oh, maybe, like, do this play because I noticed this worked a couple of times. But, like, no one is really, like, hyper-analyzing, like, how to specifically attack each team on both sides. So I think that I think in a playoff series you might see more of a concerted effort to maybe uh, put Marcus Smart on Kawhi because I just think that's he's our best primary defender, and he offers – I'm, like that's kind of the only difference between like Kawhi and LeBron is that LeBron he's so big that you really couldn't use Marcus Smart on him anyway because he'll just turn around, back him down, defense collapse, open three for someone. At least with Kawhi because he's not like you know 260, 
you're able to use more of your wings against them. So, I mean, I'd be interested to see, but I mean, even though Kawhi didn't shoot well, like, he got to the line nine times. Yeah. He, he, he was aggressive. Um, he got to his spots mostly, primarily. So, I mean, again, though, it's going to be, like, a lot of trial and error, a lot of mixing and matching, because even after a couple possessions of, like, getting, like, Marcus, like, Marcus is not going to be able to, like, shut him down the whole game. Like, he might have a good half, he might have maybe even a good game, but, like, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, like, a series, it's not something you can just rely on, okay, well, that's our Kawhi stop and move on. So it's going to be, like, a musical chair of people and trying to throw him off as much as possible. That's a good point you made about the size about LeBron. I think another thing that makes Kawhi different from LeBron and not as potent offensively is the fact if you put Marcus Smart on Kawhi, you can you can post up Kawhi and he can start that post up, but a lot of times you can start the double team and not be hurt too bad. If you send that double team over when LeBron's posting up on Marcus Smart, it's game over assist for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's a good point about Marcus Smart being a better matchup for Kawhi Leonard. Another thing that I noticed happened a lot last night was quite a few Kyrie's Kyrie matchups on Kawhi Leonard. Do you think that's something that they'll be able to game plan out once the postseason comes along? No, not because the Raptors do a really good job of forcing those switches. That wasn't it wasn't by design. The Celtics didn't want to do that, you know. <laughs> like the Raptors were seeking that out. Kawhi was seeking that matchup out, and they they did a really good job of understanding how the Celtics were switching and finding a way to get the merry like the merry go rounds right to Kyrie and Kawhi. And I think the Celtics are going to have to live with a couple possessions a game where Kyrie is going to have to stick Kawhi, just the same way how you know. When you like your best players are like you aren't gonna be able to hide people in this switch heavy league anymore. Like eventually, like your worst defender is gonna end up on some on someone you don't want him to end up on. And the best thing you can hope for is I really appreciated. Granted, like Kyrie didn't have much success, but I appreciated that. Like you know, like he tried. He got a, like he tried to get up in his stance. He tried to pass him as much as he could. He'll take the challenge, but like at the end of the day, it's gonna happen a few possessions a game, and. I mean, you just have to live with it. Again, like it, it comes down to the same thing. Like when you're trying to defend these best players, it's so much more about just getting them to take a bad shot and hope you defended it well versus actually stopping them. So I, I mean, I do think you're gonna see a lot of Kyrie on Kawhi at times, and I think the Celtics are obviously gonna try to phase that out. Maybe they'll, you know, try to try to put Kyrie on different people that maybe the cat like the like the um. The Raptors aren't playing on using, like, maybe you throw them on OG or Pascal just to, just, you know, like, just to throw stuff off and see, like, mm-hmm. how the Raptors would react, like, put them all over the floor. But it's going to happen. Like, it's like it's a switch-heavy league. It's going to end up happening one way or another. Yeah, I think once the playoffs come along and you see a little more specific game planning, as we talked about, you'll see Kyrie being put on Danny Green, and it will be more of a, if you want to run your offense through Danny Green, go ahead, but... We're going to put Kyrie here to throw you off rather than having him guard Kyle Lowry for large portions of the game as they did last night. Was there anything from a Celtics perspective that you watched last night and you thought, well, that's something that they can kind of go back to and something that they can attack more on the Raptors? Well, I mean, it's tricky because I felt that on top of, okay, so one, their Kyrie, their Kyrie Horford pick and pop works pretty well. Um, I thought that, you know, Kyrie's obviously, he has a gravity to him when he gets down to the, down to the rim and he's able to like kick it out 
and that even if Horford doesn't take the three, at least gets the defense scrambling. So I think that's something they could do. Um, but also a lot of the Celtics stuff is like it's hard. The problem with this offense right now is that they don't have an identity. And what you're seeing, and you're seeing that through the shot chart, where it's kind of like even between like three-point shooting, mid-range, and paint attacks. And I think that's not something that the Celtics are aiming for. And I think a big part of that is because like there's just a, there's a lot of like just tough shot making that's happening right now. Like whether that's like Tatum hitting his like little fifteen to seventeen footer mid range, um, Hayward and Irving are really like doing a lot of like the curls off the elbows and shooting from there. Um, Marcus Morris, you know, he takes those tough shots. It's just there's a lot of guys right now that are like taking mid range shots a lot. And I don't think that's going to be how the offense works as the team, you know, like, starts figuring stuff out. So as of right now, like, I don't know because I don't think we saw a lot of offense. But I do think, like, there's going to be, like, particular situations. Like, the Celtics are going to want to go to um, Tatum or, like, some of their bigger wins, like Hayward, when they get switched on to Lowry. Um, not Jalen, because Jalen still hasn't proven that he can make, you know, like, like, good decisions when he gets in that place. But, like... Gordon looked very strong. He looked like someone that can attack mismatches. Um, same with Jason, and we're going to put Marcus Morris through that. I thought Kyrie was a little bit better offensively. Well, he was way better offensively than his first game. I think that as he gets comfortable and going, I think he'll be able to have a better impact. Obviously, the same thing with Gordon. But, you know, we'll see. I think, we're, I think we'll know a little bit more on their next matchup, which I think is a month from now. I think, like, November 16th. We'll know a little bit more then, I think, on how the Celtics are going to plan on, like, like what's going to work for the Celtics. But right now, like, the one thing I saw outside of, like, um, Kyrie, Kyrie Horford pick and pop was the ability from at least Jason and Gordon to kind of, like, have their way um, in mismatches. Yeah, I think Gordon looked so much better than he did from the first game as far as just looking more explosive on the court and just looking more like the Gordon Hayward we saw in Utah than in his pre in his first matchup he looked a little bit slow and a little bit less explosive than in this matchup so I think that's obviously something to keep watching is the Celtics kind of integrate their team fully um from a Raptors perspective last night we saw nine players for the Celtics Rozier Morris Martin Baines off the bench do you think that anyone else is going to work their way into the rotation as the season goes along, or do you think that nine is kind of what Stevens is going to go with, at least for now? It's a long season, but I think there was a re- I think he's making a concerted effort to play the guys he sees in the rotation, and I think he understands that this team is going to need as much time to gel, and he doesn't want to waste time too much like giving, giving guys that he's not sure are... are key rotation players. I mean, I know the last time we talked on the preview pod, I was a little torn between whether Marcus Morris or Semi Ojale would be the one, like, that last spot. And I think it's very clear right now that Ojale hasn't proven that he could be a consistent shooter or give you anything offensively, even with his, like, you know, like, strong positional defense. And because of that, you see, like, the nod one to Marcus Morris, and Marcus Morris looks like he's going to be in that rotation every day. So obviously, like, like, uh, out of the guys who didn't play, I, I could see Daniel Tice being someone who at times would get opportunities, but the Celtics seem like they're making a very concerted effort to play only their rotation and get those guys and use this 
80, 80 games now to just get them as much minutes and get them as comfortable with each other as possible. So my guess would be that they stick to the shorter lineups. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And obviously in lesser opponents, you might see a longer bench than you see in the more premier matchups, which Toronto hopes to at least be throughout the season. Any last takeaways that you noticed from the game that you kind of want to point out? Yeah, man, these teams, these teams are just... These teams are just ridiculous. Like, I'm still floored by just how good both of these squads looked on the second game of the season. Um, they both obviously saw this as like statement games, and just even like, like, like you can kind of see how good of a series this is going to be if hopefully we get this during the playoffs. Because it's just they're very deep and they're very good, but it's also like in very different ways. And I think that you're kind of seeing how Boston can kind of take advantage in some ways, how Toronto can take advantage in some ways, and it just felt like something I noticed that I don't, I, I don't, I don't know about anyone else that it was like it felt like a lot of times like when you're watching like subs come in, like you know how sometimes when you're watching games you see like one guy getting subbed out, and the guy something like oh, okay, so this would be a little bit easier now because you know like this guy's coming out, blah blah blah. It felt like for the Raptors and Celtics, every guy who kept getting subbed out or subbed in was like someone really good. And you're just like, oh my god, they're these teams are so deep. It's like, okay, so Larry's coming out. Oh, here comes Fred Van Fleet and Kawhi. Oh, oh, um, Rozier and uh, Tanner coming out. Oh, here's here's Kyrie and Hayward. And it's like, they they're so deep and they're so talented and they're so good at just like playing like together, like the fit that I think these matches are really going to get better as the year goes on. So. Yeah, that this, this, yeah, that's a great point. I think just as far as I watched that opening day matchup between the Celtics and 76ers, and it just looked like a different quality of game being played last night as opposed to that one. And you make a great point as far as just the depth between goes. A lot of teams, even you know, when you watch the Warriors, who are the best team in the NBA, there's times when they're putting players on the court and just hoping to kind of skate by with the minutes. So let's go ahead and throw Kevin Looney on the Kevon Looney on the floor for a little bit of time and hope we don't give up a run here. When the Raptors Celtics, the depth of those two teams, it just felt like there was no breaks given. For sure. So yeah, I look I look forward to the many matchups that are in store. And and um I I was I was talking about this with my friend after the game. The number one seed is going to become very important because I don't think either of these teams want to see Giannis and the Bucks in round two. I I do not think any of them want to see that. And the way the Bucks look right now, like it looks like they could easily be the three seed. So that should that just adds another layer to this year. Yeah, I I definitely think so. Not only is the home court advantage important, but as you talked about, I facing that team that's coming off the four or five matchup. I think with Indiana will be at least a little bit more worn down and not as ready to play as whoever's in that 3-6 matchup because, to me, it feels like there's five teams in the East that are legitimate, really good teams, and then the rest that's just more, you know, playing to make the playoffs. For sure. All right, man. I think that will wrap everything up for us. Thank you for coming on, and we look forward to hearing from you more throughout the season as, obviously, the Celtics are the team for the Raptors to watch. All right, no problem, man. Thanks for having me.